Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Um, but I'm really excited for the word that uh, I want to speak tonight um, because it's something that's really close to my heart and it involves a lot of personal story for me. Uh, and so I'm excited to share tonight and uh, I'll try to keep it short. I don't consider myself to be a really great storyteller, um, but I'll let you be the judge of that. Um, so when I went to university, I had to learn a new language. I didn't go to university in Mexico, so it wasn't Spanish. I wasn't in Singapore or China or Germany or, and I'm not going to list every single country, but it wasn't some faraway place. And even though I know that some of you in this room think that I speak a different language than you speak, it wasn't here either. (laughs) No, because when I went to university, this new language that I had to speak or learn to speak was even a harder language, I think, than any of those places. I'm going to call it Christianese. That's the language that I had to learn to speak. Christianese. Does anyone know what Christianese is? It's like this language that only Christians that are really far into it ever use. In fact, actually, it's a terrible language that no one should ever know or need to know. I enrolled at this university, and I attended this university that had this historic Christian root in the city. And actually, it claimed in this city this impressive statistic for the city that actually this university was in a city where over 90% of the population claimed to be born-again believers, Christ-following people. And actually, they used to use this phrase at my university, and I absolutely hate this phrase and what it means, and we'll talk a little bit about it tonight. Um, But we would call it this idea of living in the Christian bubble. You live in this Christian bubble if you went to this university in this city. And so my talk tonight is actually about the kingdom of heaven invading every single segment and portion of our society. And I'll talk a little bit about my problems and struggles with this Christian bubble that I lived in for four years in just a moment. Now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven should invade every single portion of society. Do you believe that? That didn't sound very enthusiastic. Do you believe that? Yes. Great. I believe that with all my heart. I absolutely believe that. In fact, I've come to know the words of this Danish theologian. Uh, His name's Abraham Kuyper. I've come to know these words to be true of God's kingdom. He said this. All glory be to Christ, who is the only person with the right to even use the words mine. And he said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. I believe that everything belongs to God. He has the right to call everything his, mine. But actually, it took a long time for me to get to that place. I struggled to believe that when I looked around me and saw this Christian bubble that I lived in. It's because all around me, what I actually saw was not people who lived under this sort of idea of the whole life rule and reign of Jesus in their lives. In other words, they didn't live as if Jesus had the right to claim mine in every portion of their life. They actually compartmentalized their faith. 
So they would enter this bubble freely when it was convenient for them. Usually that was on a Sunday morning or it was right before that Christian prayer meeting or right before that grow group. And at every single other time in their life, Christ did not have the right or the claim in their minds to demand that phrase, mine. It seemed as if he didn't actually have the authority that his kingdom even existed in those areas of their lives. It was as if they had forgotten this, this way to pray that Jesus teaches us, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Sounds a bit like the church in the West today. And I don't think I was just living inside this one area in this Christian bubble, but I think in the West we have the fear, the problem that this will happen. This is a pervasive thing in the church in the West. I actually fear that it's even becoming increasingly pervasive in Asia and in Africa, in some of the areas where the church has actually grown and become very large. And actually this problem that we face predominantly as Christians, I don't believe is even secularism. I don't believe the problems that we face are conflict. I don't believe that the problems that we face as Christians are politics. I don't believe it's any of that. I believe the problem that we face is that we've traded Jesus in everything, every area of our lives. We've traded that concept of Christ for this idea that we can consume Jesus in these sort of bite-sized increments, only when it's convenient for us at church on a Sunday. So I'm going to suggest to you tonight there's three ways that primarily we have this consumer kind of culture in our churches. This is the fear, right? The first is this, that the type of consumer that we would see is actually a thrill seeker. Right, so I, I'm concerned, I'm worried that when we come to church and seek this encounter with the living God, with the Holy Spirit, that actually we, we just seek it as a thrill, that we don't actually let the Holy Spirit transform our lives, transform every area of our life so that that phrase, that prayer on earth as it is in heaven would come true. So I'm not in church in, a, in an encounter with the Holy Spirit because it might give me some really warm, fuzzy feelings inside. I don't believe that God's given us his spirit to give us warm, fuzzy feelings inside. I actually don't even believe that God's given us his spirit so that we feel the comfort of the presence of God in our lives. Hey, don't get me wrong, all of those things are good things. The warm, fuzzy feelings are fine. Those are great things. This idea of God as the comforter of his presence in our lives, that's a great thing. But actually, the primary work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not for that. It's actually for transformation of our inner being. It's this transformation that reaches and stretches into every single area of our life. I love that when the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 comes at Pentecost, it's actually this powerful testimony of transformation. Those first believers, actually Paul says, in those days I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the path below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This happened at Pentecost. Blood, fire, clouds of smoke. That's far from what we've come to know in our church. The presence of the Holy Spirit is just warm and fuzzy feelings. 
I want that sort of Holy Spirit encounter today where we're not consuming the presence of God, but actually we're allowing it to transform us. I want that transformation in my life. The second way I think that we consume church is this, the value menu shopper. All right, so raise your hand if you like a good deal. Any good deal seekers in here? All right, so I have this like ongoing debate with my wife. Mary Ava is her name. She's always getting on to me about these sort of half-priced and half-baked deals that I find on Amazon. It's dreadful. And actually, she'll ask me all the time as she comes home and finds another thing that I've purchased on Amazon. She'll say, why in the world did you buy that? And I'll just say, it was on sale. I found a good deal. That's why I bought it. Her response is always this, but we didn't need a fourth chopping board for our kitchen. (laughs) But it was on sale. (laughs) And the debate just keeps going on and on. Value menu shoppers in our churches are the kind of consumers that are seeking out really great programs and resources that the church can give them. And so it's actually all about me, 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 me. How many great programs are you going to produce? How fantastic is your kids' work going to be? How awesome is it going to be when you give me that free cup of coffee? But there's two problems with this sort of consumer church mentality where we only show up for church for what we can get out of it. The first is this. It actually creates a culture in our churches of church shopping. Church shopping is this idea that when someone gets tired of a worship service or they're not happy with that kid's work or church leader X made them angry or they got in an argument with church member Y or they're not happy with small group Z, so they stop coming to your church. They stop coming to their church and they instead repeat the cycle. They go and shop for a different church and actually wash, rinse, repeat. The whole thing will happen over again when they get tired of the next place and move on. And actually, that's not the real problem with the value menu shopper in our churches in the West. The real problem with the value menu shopper is that when people consume these programs in the church, they never actually allow the space for the kingdom of heaven to intersect their life outside of the church. Because that's where God is primarily at work. God is at work in here, don't get me wrong, but his kingdom is invading every portion of our society. And when we value menu shop in church, we're designed to let it just be this thing that I go to on a Sunday to consume the program, but don't actually let it transform my work, my neighborhood, my home, the areas of my life that I'm in, the clubs that I'm in, the football league, whatever. In Acts 4, we don't see this kind of church. The church that experiences the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is a a very different sort of church. It says in Acts 4, all the believers are united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they have. There was no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money of the apostles to give to those in need. This kind of person that's completely sold out for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not coming to church for the program, but they realize that actually the program is the people, right? It's about the kingdom of heaven intersecting the people in their lives. All right, the third is this, the holy huddler. This is kind of like the Christian bubble in a sense. So the third way that people consume church is this holy huddler idea. So actually, instead um, of consuming church in a way that's like the value menu shopper, 
This one is actually, I think, the hardest to talk about because there's a bit of a fine line between a holy huddler and a sold-out disciple of Jesus. There's a fine line between these two. And actually, I think I spend most of my time probably in this third category as a holy huddler. So the holy huddler, that's hard to say, is actually this person who is, says, I'm going to give it all to Jesus. I probably serve on a million different teams, and I'm probably sold out all the time for Jesus in my life. And if you want to know who these people are, by the way, you just need to go check a rota because they're going to be on every single one, absolutely all of them. And actually, the fear of this is that this subtle foothold that the enemy gets in their lives when they fill their schedules with so many things that they, get, they forget the real reason that they're a disciple of Jesus. They forget the real reason that they do what they do. They, get, they fill the schedule with so much stuff that they forget the real purpose, which is to see more people finding their way back to God. And I feel like I spend most of my time in this sort of category because I fear that when we become holy huddlers, what actually happens is that we don't allow God to transform every single area of our lives. This is a message that hits home with me really closely. And I've got to share the story with you to give you a bit of context. So my wife and I, um, for the last two years, have had this real struggle of wanting to have a kid. Um, and actually, we were trying to have a kid but not really allowing God to be in it at all, just thinking we want a child, let's try to have a child. And we really struggled. Um, we tried for a long time and couldn't get pregnant and um, got to a place where just after a couple years of this, over the summer, we decided that we would diagnose the problem, self-diagnose the problem. And so we went to the GP, we had all of these tests done, and we figured out we were going to have some problems. And so they did the test again to confirm that that was going to be the case. And yeah, it was. And only then did we decide that we would say a prayer or something. <laughs> because we had undergone those tests and we thought we're going to have a real struggle of this. We need to see God in this, in the midst of this. We haven't even been praying for it. And so actually, over the summer, this is only about three months ago, we, in the midst of setting up some appointments for some long-term sort of fertility specialists, we decided that we would just take the time to pray that God would intervene and that he would do a miracle. And so we had this first appointment uh, for this fertility specialist in August. And a week before this appointment, we found out that Mary Eva was pregnant. Praise God. And I can only say, and I get this because I know that for some of us in here, maybe we're struggling with the same thing, right? Like maybe this is not something we really talk about in church. Um, maybe we're struggling with the same thing of maybe trying to get pregnant, or maybe we've had some even worse issues that have happened. And actually, I don't say this to, to sort of discourage you, but I actually say this, that we don't understand how God is at work, how his kingdom is at work in our lives. And the response that we should be giving is to give everything, to not be that holy huddler, but to give everything to God and to trust him with it. So here's the, the sort of response that I want to propose to you tonight. We need to shift our theology of our culture of how the kingdom of heaven works. And I want us to move from seeing the kingdom of heaven as something that we consume through our church 
towards seeing the kingdom of heaven as something that we contribute towards so that we can see the kingdom of heaven invading every single part of our lives. I want to read together in James 3 tonight. The words are going to be up on the screen, but I'm reading in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 26. It says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a great day. Stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is absolutely useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And Rahab the prostitute is yet another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James here is reinterpreting what the kingdom of heaven in our life spaces looks like. For him, it looks like faith that's worked out in action, in good deeds. It's not this passive thing, faith, translation here. It's not this consumer sort of thing. But actually, it's something that we actively participate in. We can't consume church any longer as this personal sort of faith to us. But we have to be a contributor to God's kingdom in our lives. I actually love that we, we don't go into the world and share the gospel and do good works because we're actually seeking out a more genuine faith. But we actually, we do good works because it flows out of this love that we've received from God. When we have faith in his plan for our lives, when we let him invade every portion of the kingdom of heaven in our lives, we see this love worked out in reality. I love living in Manchester because it kind of feels sometimes like I'm still living in a dream. Even two years on from living here, it feels like a dream because I feel like every day God's teaching me what it actually means to be part of the kingdom of heaven in my life spaces. And actually, you know, hindsight's this great thing. It's always 2020. Um, and it's interesting hindsight because um, we were at a point where about three years ago, as we were struggling to actually make it to the UK, to actually move here, that we just decided that we would just absolutely give up. 
And so I was literally a day away from calling the organization that I'm here with and saying, I picking up the phone and saying, I quit, I'm finished, I'm not doing this anymore. And actually what we found is that this massive kind of kingdom of heaven sort of invasion, the moment that we had decided that, because the very next day at work, Mary Eva had this utterly terrible day, like the worst of worst days that anyone could ever have. And she came home and she said, that is clearly not right for us. We need to continue moving forward. And that was incredible because, and I say that to, to encourage you, to share with you, that even when we think like the path that God has us on, we're not actually seeing the kingdom of heaven in that space to continue striving forward to what he's called you to do because he'll work it out. And in the meanwhile, he's changing us from that consumer mentality of faith towards that contributor of God's kingdom kind of faith. So I want to suggest in James, and we'll just conclude with this tonight. I want to suggest in James that we kind of see four different levels of kingdom contribution in James. Sorry, three levels of kingdom contribution in James. There was a fourth, but I grouped it together with the first one. And the thing is this, I actually believe that the first two are not the kind of kingdom contribution that we want to have, but the third one is. And so let's work through them together. The first is this, there are kingdom contributors that are passive. So these are people who they neither speak about their faith nor do they act on it. So James talks specifically about this. He says, if you've got faith but no actions, what good is your faith? It's basically dead, it's useless. So in other words, if you're not acting, you might as well have none of them at all. And so it's a completely passive thing. The sort of person who neither acts nor speaks of the kingdom outside of the church, in the world, in their life spaces, actually doesn't have either. No faith, no deeds, dead. They might, in a word, affirm their faith but in their convictions, but actually it's a bit superficial because it doesn't actually work itself out in the way that they allow the kingdom of God to invade every part of their life. It's empty. Good day, stay warm, eat well. But they don't actually feed the person. They don't actually keep them warm. The second is this, it's a private contributor. Private contributor is the one who's got these good deeds and actions, but they never actually talk about the kingdom in their life. They never talk about their faith. They're all for contributing as long as they never actually have to talk about the kingdom. And that's not right either, James says, because actually we work out faith and good works towards others in our lives. This action, this sort of allowing God to work in every area, we don't actually allow both of those to happen at the same time. That's the private person. And the third, and the one that I want to spend a bit of time unpacking tonight, is the third. It's powerful. A powerful contributor. This is what I want to suggest that we need to strive to become. A powerful contributor to the kingdom of heaven in everything that we do. I love the powerful contributor. This is the person that's like they fought the good fight. They've been sincere about their faith, and they've worked it out in a real way. They're not a consumer. They don't just simply consume what it means to have faith, but they actually have action that's behind it. 
They see the kingdom of heaven all around them. And actually, they're actively looking for ways in their life to see God's kingdom intersect in their life spaces. So this is the businessman who's trying to put kingdom values into his business. This is the NHS staff person who's trying to pray for their patients. This is the person who is holding block parties on their street in their neighborhood so that they can share their faith and build relationships with the people that they know and live next to. This is the person who every single day prays for their aunt who's not a believer yet, but has been doing it faithfully for 15, 20 years. This is that kind of person, a powerful kingdom contributor. This is the person who not only invests all of their time and resources and energy into the church, but also invests their time and resources and their energy into helping people outside of the church find their way back to God. I could continue giving examples, but I think insert your life space into this. Where is God calling you to be a powerful contributor to the kingdom of heaven in your life? In James, the powerful kingdom contributor stands on the example of two monumental giants of the faith in scripture. Abraham, the father of Israel, and Rahab, the, the unlikely prostitute who is massively involved and actually is a part of the lineage of Christ. When we're powerful kingdom contributors, James says, we are like Abraham. We are like Rahab. We stand on the footsteps of those in the faith who've gone before us. And ultimately, we have the authority of Christ in our lives. Which category are you today? Are you a passive kingdom contributor? Or maybe the area you're sort of struggling in is you're the private kingdom contributor. Maybe you're still fighting to break away from some of that. I just come and sit here in church, but actually it doesn't go outside of here. Because the thing is, we should be number three, the powerful kingdom contributor in our life spaces. So I want to do a response along those lines tonight. Um, could I get the band to come up? And... Uh, this is gonna be a very active sort of response. So let's get on our feet. And I wanna spend some time in prayer with one another because um, actually I believe one of the starting places if we're trying to see the kingdom of heaven invade our society outside of these walls, outside of the church, is actually what are we doing in terms of praying for that to happen? That's the starting place for that to happen, is to be praying that God would do this transforming work in us that would spill out into that. And so uh, we'll just have a time of reflection as the band kind of plays in the background. I want you to find someone in here 
Um, it doesn't matter if you know them or if you know them. It doesn't really matter at all. But I want you to share a specific area of your life where you would love to see the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to share that. And I want to spend some time praying for one another in that. So we'll allow a space for that to happen here in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us. Father, I pray that we would see the kingdom of heaven in every single segment and area of our life. Father, I, I repent. I repent of being the kind of person who in the past did not let you into every single area of my life. I want to see you invade those areas. And so, Father, I pray the same for the people here tonight. I pray that we would see your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.